I went to put out my hand to her, and she turned her back. It was bad enough that I had experienced the hurt that she had intended, but it was in front of others. And so the public humiliation was quite significant. How long did it last? Well, pastors tend to grow thick skins. And whilst it hurt for a few moments, the reality was that I realized that as a pastor, sometimes I would say things or perhaps do things that people might misunderstand. And whilst I went to bed with a clear conscience, the reality was that the pain of even visible rejection was difficult to experience. Yet it was but temporary. And as an adult, I was able to rationalize the experience. But put yourself in the shoes of a seven-year-old. I had called in at the school to take part in a school assembly, only to find that the seven-year-old had trashed the classroom. And I mean, he had done a particularly good job. The children had been removed to the assembly hall for their own safety. Yet the circumstances that surrounded that child's life were such that he had experienced a sense of abandonment, ultimately a sense of rejection. For whatever reason, he felt unwanted. Was that a significant sign of his rejection of those in authority or a spoilt child throwing a temper tantrum? There was no temper tantrum. Truth was that he was so young he couldn't even articulate that experience of rejection. But then it happens in all walks of life, doesn't it? We can be stepped over for a promotion, the job going to someone we perhaps felt less equipped or qualified. We could feel excluded from school, quite literally, because of bad behavior. Even the term exclusion means placing us on the margins, being further rejected by mainstream society. It could be that a husband has committed an affair and we experience a painful rejection, particularly from someone that we thought loved us or thought cared for us. We could be a visitor from another country, someone who has come here to try to find gainful employment, to try to integrate into society, but we feel the rejection of those within the community. Non-inclusion is a terrible problem. The fear of rejection can captivate us all. But does the Scripture have anything to say about those who fear rejection? Or indeed, even greater still, does it have anything to say about us who are meant to include people. God wanted to create a people that would learn to include others, 
without endorsing their behavior, simply because they were made in the image of God. I want you to turn with me this morning to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, and we're beginning to read from verses 13 to 18. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so that he will not share, you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then verse 33. When an alien lives with you in your land, do not ill-treat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself. For you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. It's an interesting set of verses. What is it saying? Well, the ancient people of Israel were uh, nomads. They had been used to periods of wandering. Now they were settled. They had their own agriculture. And often they would be visited by some foreigners because they were surrounded by many nations. And quite clear and specific instructions were given to two groups of people. In the first part of Leviticus chapter 19, in the reading, we have how we should treat one another, particularly those that are of a particular tribe or clan or are involved in community together. You know what it's like? We have neighbors, we have friends, we live in villages, we live in towns. We pretty much know each other. We're surrounded by people that are similar to us. And here they've been given a set of instructions that for people to feel included within those groups, they must be treated in particular ways. Ways that you would expect, ways that are understandable, given if you want to live in harmony together. But sometimes you will be approached by someone who lives outside the community, and they are more likely to be excluded. And God says you've got to show those foreigners, those who come from outside, the same type of neighborliness and love that you would show your next of kin or your 
friend or neighbor who lives right beside you. If you can then translate that into centuries later, when Jesus Christ was standing in front of a lawyer, and the lawyer asked him a reasonable question, just who is my neighbor? And there Jesus takes a moment and he expands on it with a parable. And in that parable, there's a person lying on the ground. And the person who came to the aid of that individual was not the one expected. It was neither the Levite nor the scribe. They passed by on the other side. But the one who came and helped that day was none other than a good Samaritan. And the Samaritans were notoriously hated by the Jews. And here, someone called a Samaritan showed a grace towards someone bruised and beaten in a way that his own kinspeople refused to do. And if a Samaritan can act in that sort of manner, then Jesus is saying, those who legitimately call me Lord and Father, the, the people that, that my Father in heaven has, has chosen for his own and nurtured and protected over the years, are the ones that are not showing neighborliness that have excluded other people, that do not come to their aid. What about us? Are we the type of people that would include others? Or are we a people who have a predisposition towards selecting those that we love? The best example of a loving relationship that we could present according to the scriptures, a relationship redeemed in marriage, is one of where two people are brought together because they love each other. They admire certain characteristics, yet that relationship is based on our ability to select others because of characteristics we deem laudable or praiseworthy. But I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5, the, the chapter that Leanne read. Because here we have an interesting picture of God and his love in comparison to our own. Romans chapter 5. Turn with me, please, and read it together. Therefore, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, 
because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. In the first part of our considerations today, we talked about how easily it is to feel rejected. We then demonstrated that Christ told us to be good neighbors and not to reject others. And yet, maybe that's been our experience, that those who should have acted as good neighbors, have been the very ones that have actually rejected us. But what is God's love like in comparison to other people's? Today, if we have any fear of rejection, we must look upward rather than simply outward. We must consider the nature of his love and consider in the light of that what God is saying to us, those that he has created. I have a very simple illustration today that I want to show to you. And it's in relation to the sponge and also the cloth. If we were to put this cloth into the water, well, I could quite easily wring it out. And once I have, that's it. And quite often that's like people's love. We go expecting them to pour out their love upon us, but once their love is finished, there's no more love to give. And even individuals can reach this stage with the love that they show towards others. Either as a giver or receiver, we can empty very quickly. The sponge, well, it can hold a lot more water, but it can hold it. And whilst it will drain slowly away, it will empty too. It produces more, but it's not an endless supply. But there's a verse in Scripture that we have just read. And God promises to do one thing. He promises to pour out his love into the midst of our brokenness. And the difference is 
that he has an endless supply of love to give. He pours it out into your life and to mine. And he does so right there in the midst of a hurting and broken world. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. Maybe your hope has been disappointed because the basis of that hope has been on those around you and not God himself. You have looked for acceptance and inclusion from them and experienced only the pain of rejection. But God's love for you is entirely different today. God promises to pour his love out on you. And it's an endless supply. And whilst it may not change every circumstance that you experience or the hurtful moments by being rejected by others, if you're never going to be rejected by him because he continues to pour out his love upon you through the power and work of his Holy Spirit, to be included in his family is like being included in no other family. Love always wins in his family. The second thing is that he has not only poured out his love on us, he has also demonstrated that love to those who chose to reject him. And you'll see that in verses 6 and 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here, it appears quite clear, doesn't it? We often are let down by those closest to us because we think that there is some reason that they should love us because we have loved them in return. And yet here, God is saying that he still demonstrated his love for us, that in, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When there was nothing within us that showed any sense of loving God, he still remained committed to us in his love. He still made a conscious decision to send his son, even though we were willing to spurn or reject that love. But because he's willing to pour out that love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, he has demonstrated why he would make such a commitment that he was even willing to give up his own son so that you could be included in his divine family as an adopted son, as an adopted daughter. If that's the extent to which someone is willing to go to show you, to illustrate to you how much you are loved because you are created in his image, then why should you have any fear of rejection? 
because this is a love like no other, a love that is poured out upon the most undeserving, including myself and perhaps including you. The the depth of that love is revealed in the commitment given even to the sacrifice of his own son. Because thirdly, he demonstrates that love to those who least deserve it. And that means you, and that means me. And he has made us a promise. And that promise is clear in verses 9 through to 10. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? He removes our punishment. The punishment that separated us from God and would separate us eternally if we had not or will not repent. That obstacle is removed because God has punished sin. Jesus bore that sin making himself a sacrifice on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of a son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only are we saved through his life, but we are saved to life a life that is full, a life that is abundant, a life full of God's love. All that come to him, he will in no wise cast out. All that are weak and heavy laden, he will give rest. If he be lifted up, he will draw all men or people unto himself. If you are drawn to him today, you need not fear rejection, for you will be included. And to demonstrate that, he has given up his most valued son to make your forgiveness possible and your inclusion a reality. By the grace of God, May you embrace that love now and know the beauty of inclusion in God's family. Let us pray.